one. If you could send a mass uh, text message or email to the world pertaining to your research, what would you send or tell and why? Yeah, my text message would be like, celebrate the character of your city, celebrate the individuality of your city, the heterogeneity of your city. That's what I would say. Alrighty, welcome everybody to the Research Showcase podcast. Today we are we got George, right? I'll let you introduce yourself. So here's a yeah, yeah. yeah. So I'm George. Uh, I'm I've got a PhD. I'm from the UK. I'm based in London. And just briefly, like a little bit about my research, I'm mostly uh, mainly interested in entrepreneurship and particularly what I call uh, everyday entrepreneurship. So these are like your normal everyday people starting everyday businesses. Oh, nice, nice. Everyday entrepreneurship. For sure, yeah. So, yeah, um, let's, let's see, let's see. So let's just hear a little bit more about like your research project. So it was called um, a blueprint for entrepreneurial places, which are cared for. Can you like break down that title and just a little overview of what that means? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We can go. We can go into it. So uh, basically, the what we've seen in entrepreneurship and entrepreneurship research is that there's been a disproportionate amount of attention paid to uh, the what we call like the unicorns of entrepreneurship so these people are like your elon musk uh, i don't know alan sugar if you know that is a popular uk one or richard branson these mm -hmm. kind of people and it's because they're interesting they are very rightly interesting but it means that all of our research has kind of been like focused on these kinds of people so it's kind of been skewed a little bit more to that side rather than understanding more about what I mentioned earlier, everyday entrepreneurship. So these everyday entrepreneurs, they form uh, like the bulk of the economy. They're integral to the local economy, not just as an important as, a, as an employer, so providing jobs, but also important for providing diversity. So what we're seeing a lot of in towns up and down, the only people who can survive are what we call like the chains. So towns tend to become clone towns. They're all similar, all have the same chains, doing the same thing. Whereas what we're more interested in is that kind of diversity, more inclusive capitalism. So we can see, you know, the, the diversity that different places have and how that kind of comes to fruition in terms of different businesses. So the title, A Blueprint for Entrepreneurial Places, which are cared for, is because this focus on the what we call the Silicon Valley model of entrepreneurship, so these high-end entrepreneurs, that has kind of trickled its way down into policy. So therefore, policy now seeks to replicate uh, clustering. So this is when you have like a high-tech company in one area and we try and keep all similar companies in the same area to reduce costs, uh, share labor, share ideas, that kind of thing. Although 
while it may work in some places, this kind of policy template won't work everywhere. So that's where I come in and I say, yes, you know, this is a great idea. Like, let's keep this kind of clustering mentality, but let's be a little bit more socially aware about the impacts and ramifications it may have to other people, to wider society, and to, like I said, these everyday entrepreneurs who are kind of being priced out of the market or pushed out, overlooked, under-supported, even though they constitute, as a whole, the majority of the UK's economic wealth. And that's not just the UK, that's every country. Right? It is those SMEs, those small companies, which constitute uh, the majority of yeah, the economic productivity. Nice. So you're definitely like a champion for uh, like small businesses and like local entrepreneurship. So, yeah. uh, so who could like benefit most from this? Um, so like, yeah, like you said, the Silicon Valley model is just, okay, these are big unicorns, billion dollar valuation, uh, very successful. They, uh, investors just want, some investors just want a lot of money and they will just fund like the next Facebook or something. And that's, that may work in Silicon Valley, but so how does, how do we get that investor money to like smaller organizations, like entrepreneurships through like small business development centers or, or? Yeah. Yeah. There's stuff like incubators, uh, but there's also, I think there needs to be more kind of coming from the government intervention. So from the policy side of things. So there could be more support offered. There could be, uh, it could be done in the form of business rates or in rents. You could offer preferential rents or rates to, to people if they're in their earlier stages, just to kind of give them uh, a helping kind of hand onto that first rung of the ladder. But who does it benefit? Uh, I think it benefits, it benefits society really because like I said, it's not only it means that we have more diversity in our towns. So in our towns have their own individual character and kind of heterogeneity, but also it means that we have more resilience. So what we've seen with the pandemic, if your if your town or your city is solely focused on or one main industry and something comes in and that industry can no longer function as it should do, so the pandemic then that town or that city is screwed. So if we focus a little bit more on championing this kind of inclusive capitalism and more diversity through SMEs, then that increases these towns' resilience to any kind of shocks and crises that may be coming. So it's not just good for the consumer, it's good for the economy as well. But mm, yeah. That's interesting and that's also really important because I think we've seen that like, Time and time again. So when I went where I went to undergrad, it was it was the redwood forest. So that was obviously like focused on on redwoods and lumber. Mm-hmm. And once we've gotten like new technology, so like steel and all these other things, it wasn't as it definitely got hit like really hard. Like okay, yeah, nobody's gonna use like wood as much, you know. Mm-hmm. So and then okay, steel and coal and all the, all these industries here in America. Okay, yeah, we what we outsource those, right? So, yeah, all of those, like mainly predominantly steel focused, like, uh, like I've seen, this. yeah, got, like, like really hit America, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it's crazy. And now, like, I don't know about you guys, but we pretty much get all of us. We used to be the same, 
In the mm-hmm. north of the UK, it used to be very big steel manufacturing. But now, yeah, all outsourced and imported mainly from, from India. Mm-hmm. Hmm. That's interesting. So it's pretty similar from like even from UK to like US. There's some similar trends. Mm-hmm. So it just shows that like having like diversity is really important. Huh. Interesting. So what what what's like the uh what's like the Pennsylvania of uh of UK? So the, like like a steel uh Okay, yeah. Well, I would say it would be like the mining communities. Okay. So back in the 1980s, I think it was, we had Margaret Thatcher as our mm-hmm. prime minister. You might, you may have to check the facts on this, but this is just uh, what I think. And she introduced the minimum wage. This meant that all the mining uh, towns and villages, which were centered on mining as a central activity, uh, could no longer function. And that caused heavy union action as that was the last really big cost of living crisis we saw. So huge strikes, um, lots of unionization. And I don't know, who knows, are we probably going to be seeing that again sometime soon? Uh, maybe but to answer your question what kind of place would that be um i don't know somewhere up north okay to be honest like being being based down in in london kind of when you get above like a certain area it all just like kind of classes as the north but a lot of like small towns small villages yeah interesting this is that's cool. Um, let's see. Let's see. Oh, so I think we skipped this. So, why should people care about your research project? Um, I mean, you kind of answered it a little bit, but like, yeah. Yeah, I think just because these the big players, so these huge companies, and wherever they're based they tend to get their voices heard uh, very easily. And that is what we found in our research. That is the complete opposite for these smaller businesses. They, Like I said, they feel completely overlooked and underappreciated. So why should people care? Because, I don't know, it should, we should care about that. I feel, I feel like we should be giving a voice to the voiceless. And especially when the the figures back it up so yeah i don't know to kind of you see it a lot nowadays like inclusion is the main word it's a real buzzword and that's what that's kind of what we're striving for in this business project so rather than you know listening to the same people learning the same things uh, regurgitating the same kind of information Let's do something a bit different. Let's hear about people who we haven't heard from before. Uh, let's hear what they've got to say, so then maybe we can help other people in similar positions to themselves to encourage this kind of churn of firms so that we're not stagnating, so that if anything does happen to these big players that we're used to listening to all the time, at least we've got something else to kind of counterbalance what they've got to say. So, yeah, I think it's important. I think you can tell I'm passionate about it. Yeah, no, I think it's well said, like, it makes sense too it's like uh when you said that like let's say apple or something so i i I like computers right Mm -hmm. there's an interesting company that i 
uh, stumbled upon a couple of months ago. It's called Framework. It's one of the uh, like it's a modular laptop, basically. If so something breaks, you can replace like a USB uh, C port. You just swap mm -hmm. it out rather than trying to get a new computer. So like I don't know. I think we all know about Apple, the walled garden. It's, yes. Okay. Exactly. You got the yes, Mac. Yeah. You got the AirPods. You got the what do they have now? Um, Air tag. Air tags. You got, and that's uh -huh. just only their physical. And then they have their app store and all that stuff. And oh, Apple yeah, TV. Yeah, yeah, so that's yeah, like yeah. once you're locked in there, it's it's like okay, how do we view this? Okay, the garden is amazing. Cool. We got like a water fountain. We got all this cool stuff, and it's a great garden. But it's hard to leave when it's that good, you know. But if you see something on the other side, it's like well, that's the only thing that you know. But if you look at like framework, it's like okay, this is like a 10 out of 10 repairability score. Um, it's they're trying to put more emphasis on on sustainability. So rather than you getting a new computer just because something broke, you can repair that. And so there's some sustainability aspect to it. And uh, I think everything's open source. So if you need to look at like the the graphics, you can try and figure it out. And yeah, it's a good step forward in that sort of thing. So, and that's a small, very small company that is finally getting heard because a lot of these manufacturers are just making computers impossible to repair over the years. So, exactly. Yeah. And to use your to use your analogy, that's like going to like the garden center and say Apple have the whole like first half of the garden center blocked off, and they're shouting and they're saying like, "Look at us! Like, come here! Make mm -hmm. sure you're giving us the preferential treatment so we can give what's in this half." as best as we can to you and then you're kind of missing out on this whole other spectrum because so much attention is being devoted to these like select few uh companies so yeah. you're missing out on all the frameworks all of the other kind of companies which are in the back that you would never have your eyes open to yeah yeah so like just keeping like that open mind of like trying to look at different businesses and i mean that's where all the cool stuff is too anyway so i think exactly. yeah like i think especially people who like like fashion or clothes it's like okay yeah you bought it from like the coolest biggest megacorp mm -hmm. that doesn't really make you cool because everybody has the same thing but if you look at like those super small um shops at like a local town and it's like one of one and it's made right there it's like okay nobody mm -hmm. else or maybe like a couple thousand people have the same exact thing as you but i mean like the megacorp like millions of people have that so it's like you really stand out in in that niche, so I like that. Exactly, unique, interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I love it. So yeah, so industries. Um, so this next question was: Which industries or groups would find this research mo most beneficial? And I think that's basically like anybody who's like an entrepreneur or a business. You know, it's like it. Yeah, for me. Uh, I'd say it's definitely kind of the uh, early entry kind of entrepreneurs. So the people who maybe have an idea or the people who maybe have just started a business. And when we're speaking to our research speaks to businesses that are all of varying ages, sizes from micro, small to medium and hearing what they've been through, what they've had to experience, then you can put this into practice to then kind of trickle down to help those people who are in the earlier stages of their entrepreneurship career. So then they don't have to make the same mistakes as 
the people who are in the same location may have made before. Mm, nice. So basically, yeah, it's arguing for contextualized uh, local policy, business policy, rather than just implementing this Silicon Valley model, like force-fitting it everywhere around the country. Rather, it, it, it really requires a more like localized, contextualized approach. Mm, yeah, that, that makes it cool, too, because it's like every little... Uh... Every little city or town has their own little niche of like what makes them unique and different about another town. So, um, yeah, your, your project has entrepreneurship, uh, aspect to it, the political science and the regional development, which is cool. And when you, uh, so I think a notable city, let's, let's just use California as my, are you familiar with California? That's. Like yeah, 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 yeah. You can test my uh, American geography. <laughs> I'm just going to test your American or your your American yeah, yeah, geography. So California, there's a lot of really interesting like places out there. So you got the Bay, obviously, yeah. you know, tech, and then you got Hollywood, um, like movies, San Diego. You got what surf and tacos, like really good tacos, um, and. Uh, Okay, Coachella, you know, festivals. Yeah, yeah. Northern California. Oh, you got Napa with wine. So all of these, like, little, in Humboldt County, um, like, lumber and, like, marijuana. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so uh, every, like, area has their own little niche, which makes it, like, worth driving to and worth visiting. And so, yeah, it's, I think, yeah, I think it's really cool, like, seeing that. Yeah, and I think that's what we need to reflect more in our like, business policy, because especially, like you're saying, maybe California, you know a lot about that, but the non-core regions, uh, I, don't, I don't know about the US context, but definitely in the UK context, mm -hmm. the main cities, yeah, we know what they all do. We can uh, influence policy to play to their advantage, but the non-core regions, so the places more on the periphery, like towns, cities, more on the outskirts, are increasingly being uh, left out from these kind of regional development perspectives. So, like you say, every place has its niche, which argues for even more contextualized policies. So then we know like what they're good at, what they need to be helped with, and therefore how can we make the kind of economic conditions which can sustain and help help that place flourish. Nice. So yeah, it's just getting like all those small towns and everybody, like just putting them on the map, you know? So I think that's, that's a good thing. Yeah. And just understanding about how enterprise manifests there, because mm -hmm. it, it's going to be different uh, no matter where you are. It's going to be yeah. for the different people. Like you say, um, one of the main mainstays of my research is about place. And when you say place, people just think, oh, it's, it's just a location. But it's what we say is it's, geographic location so where it is on the map material form so what might be there so like you say lumber or maybe coal or steel and the investment with meanings and values which is arguably like the biggest the biggest thing and of course no matter where you go all three of these aspects of place are going to change so therefore the, the enterprise and the ventures and the businesses that come out of these areas are going to change and you need government policy that reflects that and can 
kind of help these people, especially when, you know, we're coming out of the pandemic. Uh, the economy's taken the biggest hit it has in goodness knows how long. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's it's incredibly significant, relevant, and yeah, fun. Yeah, no, it, it's it's also challenging too because it's every place is different. It's like okay, yeah, that's just a mile down the road. Mm-hmm. It could still be incredibly different. That could be different, uh, uh, like different minds, you know, like different, like human capital. It's like mm-hmm. okay, this this could be like a really tech heavy area and they're just a mile away and this could be a very like um you know trust me yeah one of in my one of my case studies is cambridge so everyone knows cambridge mm-hmm. and um it's probably no I, I do know it is the largest european cluster in terms of capital committed so how much money goes into that and then literally an hour down the road you're at the coast at the seaside at one of the most deprived places in in the whole of the uk actually even in cambridgeshire itself you just go 30 40 minutes away from the center of cambridge and you have like these towns which are completely overlooked because everyone just focuses on like we say focus where the money is focus on that like exciting interesting public offering uh, kind of places which Yes, it's interesting, but by focusing your, all your attention there, you're missing out on yeah, everything. So. A lot of opportunities. Um, I think that reminds me of that's a, that's a good point. Um, so that's that's like a brain drain, right? It's something similar to that. Or, what do you mean? So um, there was this. So when I was in Timor, there was a. There was like a like a movement say hey stick into your town so i was living up in the in the mountains so a lot of farmland and a lot of people they would just go to the capital they would focus all their attention on the capital that's where all the money that's where the jobs are so a lot of people would be like okay we're just going to leave our town ne- just neglect it and then all the money just stays in the capital mm. uh, which is hard and i think another thing that i've been seeing um uh, Singapore, a lot of people, you know, like those hawker stalls and like those food stalls. Mm-hmm. Um, nobody wants to work for them. They just want to get those corporate finance jobs because they pay really well. And it's like, yeah, but that's, it's like all of the talent that was there for those, the things that we love are just leaving because they just want to get all these big corporation jobs. And it's like, okay, there's no, there's nothing unique about it anymore. But exactly, exactly. And these kinds of places end up having an aging population, yep. nobody to replace the people who left. And then they just kind of disintegrate, fizzle out, turn into somewhere that's like a ghost town or uh, what do we say? Um, heaven's waiting room mm-hmm. uh, full of old people. So, and no one wants to live in a place like that. Mm-hmm. Let's see, let's see what else, what else should we talk about? Is entrepreneurship a matter of place? Place as was, is, could be. Um, okay, so bridging the gap between unequal stakeholders. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about those, like about 
about the place. I, I still think that's like the most interesting part of like your research uh, overview. Do you want to touch on that? Yeah, sure. So is entrepreneurship a matter of place? We found by and large, yes, it doesn't define entrepreneurship, but it certainly has a, a lot of say in the businesses that are in a certain region and why they're there. Um, and to bridge the gaps between unequal stakeholders, that's like what I'm saying in in every town. I'm sure you can think, think to your hometown, there will be like one large prominent family business or like one large business that's been there for generations and generations that uh, will easily get their voice heard, will have a large say in the kind of political, even if it's the lo- local political environment, they'll have a large say about what goes on there. Whereas... Like you say, I don't know, Johnny, who's got this business that he's trying to start up that he thinks is a great idea, but he's completely being overlooked, not being listened to, or so you're not allowed to kind of struggling to get your voice heard out there. So it's difficult to market yourself, might not be getting enough footfall, these kinds of things, these kinds of things that local government can help with and can intervene with, but because they tend to be kind of enthralled by these, like we say, these larger companies, these unequal stakeholders, often the smaller independent entrepreneurs fall by the wayside. Hmm. Okay. So my research, yeah, this project actually goes some way in kind of counteracting that. So coming up in a few weeks' time, I'm putting on an event. So I'm inviting like all the local council of the area, the case study where I've been at, uh, the local member of parliament. Um, so all the key decision makers, uh, the people who influence the decision making, so the institutions that are in the area, as well as all the people I've been speaking to and other local independent businesses. So we can all get together at a location. I provide the lunch. I provide the refreshments. And these guys can just hash it out. So I'll talk, I'll talk about the research, talk about what we found, why we found it, and then give the floor to the experts. So I'll hear what they have to say. Each party hears each other. And then moving on from that, that's where we're going to create a policy brief, which is going to influence kind of how local, well, we hope is going to influence how local policy is implemented going forward. Hmm. That's cool. I never really yeah, yeah. So pretty strategic. Yeah. yeah, so that's where the cared for bit comes from. Because yeah. it's like, yeah, these entrepreneurial places, these like exciting high-tech places are cool, but let's maybe like just be a little bit more socially aware. Yeah. And just use like the strengths of each town. It's like, yeah, to like their advantage. And, and know. the more diverse, the more resilient re- resilient you are to like, like we say, all these different shocks yeah. and crises. Which it seems to just be one after the other. Like for us here, like Brexit, COVID, now mm-hmm. this, co- well, Russia, now this cost of living thing. Oh my gosh, yeah. It never ends. It never ends. Cool, cool. Okay, now that we're back. Um, so what, what is the most applicable use for your findings and research? Uh, in the, or just the main takeaway? Yeah, I think that, the main takeaway would be that just this focus on the clustering effect in industrial strategy uh, and policy has to change. 
the main takeaway would be what works in one place isn't necessarily going to work in another place. So therefore, we have to know more about these different places, more about how enterprise, like I say, manifests there and how it comes about and how we can encourage more of it. And not just encourage more, but also sustain the people who are there. So the more we know about them, about their businesses, about how they function, why they function, then the more you can do to kind of ease the whole entrepreneurship process. Okay. So you just, I like that. I like that. Just making it, uh, to make it easier for future entrepreneurs, I think it's a good thing because, I mean, we want that competition to improve as a society. So I think it's a good thing. You don't don't want companies coming, like there's a stat now that it's like, if you start a business, uh, only one in three survive. Yeah, yeah. So it's crazy. It's hard out there. And Mm -hmm. if we can learn lessons from previous people and then kind of give that knowledge, transfer that knowledge to to new entrepreneurs, then, you know, it's only going to benefit society, the economy, the entrepreneurs themselves, and us as the consumer. And, yeah, I know. So one of my professors, he had this analogy of like turtles, you know, and entrepreneurship. So there's like a bunch of turtles on the beach that get hatched, you know, mm. like hundreds, thousands. I don't know. I don't know the exact number, but there's a lot. Mm. And only like a, like a couple hundred survive. So yeah, like it's kind of like that right now. So in the future, are we trying to like create more uh, like businesses that matter? Yeah. Even more so now, like, uh, I don't know how it is for you guys in the US, but this winter, our energy bills are here are looking crazy, like, honestly, crazy. Some people are saying they're going to have to pay like nine grand, which is, uh, I don't know, that's probably like 10K, 11K US dollars for just for electricity and not even for a whole year, just for just for half a year, just for winter. Wow, I don't know what that compares that to you guys, but from us before, it'd be maybe a thousand pounds, two thousand pounds a year. Now mm-hmm. it's completely skyrocketed, and you can imagine if you if you're wanting to start a business, which as an independent, as an entrepreneur starting out, it's hard enough as it is. Let alone like with these added complications in the mix. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's hard out here. Yeah, just all of these like living expenses just make it almost impossible for you to even yeah, it was hard start. enough as it was and yeah. now this thing coming in like jesus you know yeah that's crazy but yeah no everything else is getting more expensive here I, I, especially groceries and basically mm-hmm. everything uh like gas and all that stuff so yeah we're feeling it out here too it's it's ridiculous and the, and wages like working for a company it's just very yeah, it doesn't, take, doesn't move. Yeah. Doesn't move. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It doesn't move. Everything, and, inflation's yeah. at the highest rate it's been for a long time, but your wages now. <laughs> yeah, and that's the same here. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So yeah. Well, we're all we're all struggling with the same thing, and the only people who are making it right now are just tech people. So it's like I'm not I'm not a, I'm not a coder. I'm not a CS major. So mm. yeah, those those three hundred thousand dollar jobs are not in my wheelhouse anytime soon so. you and me both you and me both yeah so the tech all the tech bros man all the silicon yeah. valley they just mess it up for everybody 
Yeah, let's get out there. <laughs> yeah, but hmm. so yeah, it is it is hard out there, but I, I I do want more entrepreneurship out there. That's what I'm that's what I'm doing. Uh, Peace Corps stuff. So I really want they really love and want more businesses and small businesses to succeed out there, and it's it is really hard. So. And especially in developing countries, it's such a good way to overcome kind of restraints that are in your life. So mm-hmm. maybe if you haven't been uh, born into the wealthiest family or it kind of gives you that independence where you can uh, be your own boss, make your own decisions and kind of be the master of your own destiny, which we see a lot in uh, also in ethnic minority entrepreneurship and ethnic minority businesses. Mm-hmm. They use enterprise and they use uh the ideas and kind of the whole process that they have to overcome these social challenges that they face. So it's extremely powerful enterprise and it's, it has so much change potential. So I think not only targeting kind of how we view policy, but also giving these entrepreneurs a helping hand these are the people who, through their businesses, can implement change in their own way. And that's what I've seen a lot in my research as well. Hmm. So not just, uh, not just undertaking business for that single bottom line, so for profit, but having a double bottom line. So there's the profit and there's also your, your social goals or what you want to achieve where you're located and, and having yeah, your own business acts as a vehicle for you to achieve those kinds of things much more easily. I like that. So it's, um, you're doing good for like yourself, you know, you can, you're able to sustain your lifestyle while also giving back to the society. So and exactly. the community. In line, yeah. In line with your hopes and aspirations for how you, how you want your, uh, that place, your local economy, your hometown, or wherever, whatever it may be, how you want that to look. Mm-hmm. And I've seen it, I'll give you a few examples. In my research, we've seen it. Um, so, in this place that I said was one of the most, on the coast, one of the most deprived uh, places in the whole of the UK, we found there entrepreneurs who came from that struggle, came from that kind of disadvantaged background. And they start their business and instead of thinking, oh, that's good, I'm getting a bit of money in now, they think, oh, what can I give back to the people who were in that position I was in not so long ago? So some people were giving out apprenticeships. One company was like photocopying uh, CVs free of charge. So if you want to go and give out your CV, loads of places, get a job, you can go to this place, they'll sort you out. Other places uh, focusing more on bringing uh, women into technology, these kinds of things that you know really you should you could argue should be in the hands of the government uh, providing these kinds of things. But mm-hmm. it's the entrepreneur who steps in, sees that gap, sees where they've come from, and sees how they can kind of fill that gap using, yeah, like I said, their venture as the vehicle to do so. Yeah, no, it really does take like a special person to like uh, see that problem and try and make small steps to try and solve that. Huh. Especially uh, what we find when you've lived through it. So when they've lived through it, they know what this place is like. They know like the the 
pitfalls and the advantages of a certain pace. And they're, they're therefore best placed to overcome such challenges. So while we argue that, yes, like policy should be contextualized, if you contextualize policy and you help these kinds of entrepreneurs more, then the more successful they are in these like secondary social goals that they may have, the more successful they're going to be in those, which are then going to bring up uh, these places more. Because what we're seeing a lot in the UK at the minute is a emphasis on leveling up. So basically London is the powerhouse of the UK and they want the rest of the country to level up. So it's a pretty, uh, it's a pretty, I don't know, it's took, the whole kind of concept has taken a lot of stick from people that people don't like it that much. But if that is truly what you want to achieve, then, you know, this is a feasible way to do that. Or at least begin to do that. Can you explain like leveling up? So what, what is in all of these other places to be as good as London? Okay. Which realistically is never going to happen, but you know, any, any step is, I guess, a positive step. Hmm. I mean, yeah, every city has that. Every city and town wants to improve in like and not everywhere world. can be in London. Not everywhere yeah. can be. In not every place should be London, you know. Exactly. So, exactly. Huh. Yeah, I mean it's not perfect, but I, I do get like the what they're trying to do, you know. Just self improvement or society like community improvement, yeah. You know? So uh let's see. Let's see. Oh, this this one's a fun one. If you could break down this project to a ten-year-old, how would you explain it? So I go out. Uh, I talk to people who have businesses. I find out why they have their businesses, why they have their businesses where they are, um, what kind of encourage them to go along that journey. If there's anything that they like or dislike about where their business is, and if they're doing any actions to kind of act on these likes or dislikes about a certain place, does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just like, like you have to put your ten, 10 year old brain to to answer. <laughs> yeah, I mean, mine's pretty similar to that. So I think I think it was pretty helpful. So yeah. Um, I mean, okay, okay, so we went uh, over the main takeaway. Uh, we did the abstract review. So, okay, so what got you excited about this specific research project? Like, uh, this is a good question. Yeah. So, my dad, I come from a like a what we call in the like working class background. Mm-hmm. So, my dad is a carpenter, and my mom she did like the books like the accounts for him mm-hmm. uh, so i don't come from like a university background i don't come from like a yeah my parents never went to university i don't come from you know that kind of of world so for me like i never was i never even wanted to go to what we have is sixth form after i guess it's kind of like the last two years of high school is mm-hmm. optional in the uk and I never even wanted to do that. And then now I find myself like, I don't know, 10, 
13 years down the line, like doing the whole academic route. So it's crazy. But um, what I found was, like I said, all of these uh, people that do get listened to are the big people, are the big companies. But my dad, being a self-employed carpenter, he's lived in pretty much like a similar location all of his life. So I just wanted to know more about people like him. You know, why, why do they do what they do? Why do they stay where they are? And what do they think about the place where they are? And how could it be better? So that was really what, what inspired me to see what make people like like him tick. Yeah, I like that. That's cool. I'm also similar like situation. So mm. I mean I also didn't like high school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So at yeah, all. Speaking, as soon as I'm done with high school, I'm out of there. I'm getting yep. a job, I'm making money. And yeah. then, no, 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 undergrad, master's, PhD, post, I'm still here. It's crazy. That's, that's what it seems like mm. for me, too. Uh, I, I really did not like high school. Um, I don't know. My mom sent me, I think she was going through like my old stuff, and she saw like my, my grades and stuff. And mm. she was like, Look at that. They're <laughs> all really bad. <laughs> so I was like, I didn't know I was going to make it. So yeah. It Look was either, yeah. yeah, it's like, uh, it was either, join the military go to community college or yeah that, that, i think that was it yeah or start working but i think none of those appealed to me so mm. i was like let me let, let's try the school thing out so and, and it's fun you learn a lot so yeah for me it was uh the i was the last year of lower fees so our fees used to be three thousand pounds so i guess that's maybe like four thousand dollars per year at university or for university yeah okay and then they tripled to 9k so i guess yeah that'd be about 12k dollars for you um wow i know and that probably sounds like change like cheap change to you yeah compared to american universities yeah yeah yeah. but for for me that was like oh imagine if i don't go and i regret it like i'm I'm gonna take the i've got to go just to yeah get this get the reduced fees and then just never left (laughs) yeah gotta take the risk so uh turn out good you're not good but yeah i don't know like the the fees in in the usa is crazy ridiculous yeah so I think everything about the U.S. is ridiculous. We have the, like the worst healthcare. We have an insanely expensive university fees. Mm. Um, it's like, come on, you should, should kind of figure this out already. But, yeah, I think I think from my trip uh, where I met you, mm-hmm. I think I realized then with uh, the USA, it's you can just tell it's like it's, everything is so capitalist. Like yep, everything yep. like privatized everything like just money talks money talks mm-hmm. that's the biggest thing so i'm not the biggest fan of that i'm like big fans of again like smaller like let's try and not give all these people all this power so yeah so yeah but then then again i don't know you can argue you know most powerful country in the world so yeah it's, it's, not, perfect. Right. it's not perfect Mm. it can still improve so mm. um yeah so let's touch on okay so what research methodologies or tools did you use 
when conducting your research project? So it was fully qualitative. So my research, it was based on my, well, what I'm doing now, this is this blueprint for entrepreneurial places, which you cared for, mm-hmm. is a postdoc. So it's a postdoc research fellowship. So it's only for uh, a year and a half. Yeah, a year and a half. And it's basically because nobody's going to read my PhD. My PhD mm-hmm. is probably going to sit on a shelf in the library and never be opened. So it, it, this contract I'm on now, this research contract I'm on now, basically gives me the time to uh, take the interesting findings from my PhD and put them out in the world. So get them published, uh, action on, like I said, these these things that I found interesting. I thought, well, we, we can put on an event to kind of counteract that. So mm-hmm. it gives me the freedom to kind of do these different research things that I'm interested in. But the research itself... Yeah, was fully qualitative. It was based on four case studies, which were all spatially fairly proximate, so pretty close as the as the crow flies, maybe like 30 minutes between each one, but structurally and institutionally so, so, so different. So fully qualitative. I'd go to each one of these case studies. I would gain the data set for um, all of the businesses in that area, get rid of all the chains, all the multinationals. I'm just left with the locals and the independents, split that down into the different sections. So then you see in each of these places, oh, like 40% is retail, 20% is manufacturing. And then from that sample, I then uh, use that as my stratification to go and speak to businesses from each of those sectors. So then when I had my interviews uh, done, it was meant to be like a kind of like a representative picture of each of these different places. So each of these different sectors were getting their voices heard Mm -hmm. in proportion to kind of like how they constitute that business environment. So that was the data collection. It was all in-depth interviews and analysis. I used grounded theory. But I also came up with like a a new methodology that I, I yeah like used myself, and it was basically just going through the interviews, seeing what these entrepreneurs said were the big issues within their town or their city or whatever, and then I would go on to Google, go on to local newspaper archives, and research these issues that they were saying and research how they were talked about in the media and then what we call the collective voice. So then you're not, your research isn't just, uh, you can't just be kind of like swatted away and be like, oh, these are just a few people's opinions. It doesn't really mean anything. I'd be like, yeah, mm-hmm. these are a few people's opinions, but then look, this is what they're talking about. And this is how it's represented in like the social constructionist point of view in society, in the media, in the newspapers, so you're saying, ah, it's just one person's point of view. It doesn't matter. But look, it clearly does matter. So, yeah, I came up with that methodology. And it basically just uh, offers opportunity for triangulation and to kind of substantiate what individuals are saying or uh, to go the other way, to go against what they're saying. But 
yeah so and i think yeah that was that was pretty much everything so now in this contract i'm on i've been back to revisit a few people so i've done a, a few more uh phases of data collection but other than that yeah i'm fully qualitative all words nice I like that because I'm not too good with math and stuff. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, like I, I do. To be fair, I do do a bit of mixed methods, but uh, yeah, very, very simple, like SPSS stuff. Uh, yeah, hmm. I got to get my uh, my my quant skills up too. So, uh, trust me. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, you specialize in one. And then that that makes uh, collaboration in the future a lot easier. So, yeah. you know, qualitative research is definitely not, it's niche. It's definitely niche. Okay. Uh, but it, it offers, yeah, it offers opportunities for collaboration in that way. Yeah, no, that's like my one of my favorite things. That's what we're doing with this. So. I love collaborating. Exactly. We find that us, us qual, we find the ideas. We like tread that new ground. Mm -hmm. We find like what's interesting. And then I can give it to the comp guys. They can test it. Yeah. So I think I need to find my, my data guy. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, so I think you kind of already explained your findings and you already broke it down to like a regular person. So um, let's, let's go into these fun questions. Got some oh, fun questions, good. yeah. Got a little personality in here. Yeah, let's do it. Um, so, okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. This this one's fun. If you could send a mass uh, text message or email to the world pertaining to your research, what would you send or tell, and why? So, is there a, is there like a length limit? Uh, no, you just have. You can just text any everybody in the world to say, "Hey, you could say hi," and what? How many people in the world see it? Like millions of people. Wow. What a question! Yeah, I'd say. I'd say um, oh, I don't know. That's a really good one. Let's say, hey, uh, if you uh, like, if you like the individuality. If you like the character of your city, you like the or your town or whatever, you like the businesses that are there or whatever, then celebrate them. Celebrate them. I don't some people use the phrase like use it or lose it. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, I don't really like that one. Because then that feels like it's kind of like a pity vote, like you're only going to these companies out of like, like pity. But yeah. I think I think yeah, my text message would be like, celebrate the character of your city, celebrate the individuality of your city, the heterogeneity of your city. That's what I would say. Hmm. And however you do that is up to you. Whether it's using like going to your favorite cafe or going to your favorite park or something, you'll be, yeah, that's what I want to see. Not clone towns, not chains, like celebrate individuality. Celebrate individuality. I like that. I love that. That should be on a shirt, man. I would wear that. So let's do it. Let's do it. Merch <laughs> so. available in the link below. <laughs> individuality. So that's what you would send. And 
or did did you touch on the why? Yeah, yeah, yeah. To so that you're um, uh, going to these different kinds of businesses, doing these different kinds of things. Uh, you're kind of giving back to your town in that way. If you keep going to all these chain stores, your Starbucks or your Costa, like, is your local town going to see any anything out of that dollar? I highly doubt it. I if you go to like, I don't know, your favorite coffee shop run by John down the road, are you going to see something come out of that dollar in your town? Most, most, most likely. Yeah, especially I think when I lived in a semi university in undergrad, I was really small. It was this tiny little town in Arcata, California. It's a small little town in the middle of a forest, so everything was super local. They had this radius of. Um, Arcata Square. So everything mm -hmm. in that square had to be local. And it was super fun just going up and talking to them and then just saying, hey, um, we're doing this event. We have the startup event. Do you want to donate or be a part of this? And a lot of them would be like, yeah, we'll show up to your event and we'll donate like like cookies or something or or coffee, exactly. you know? So yeah, and was... that way you get to meet the people behind the business. You understand mm -hmm. a lot more about not just the business, but about them. And it's more personable. Rather yeah. than when you go to like Starbucks or whatever, and it feels like you're just like cattle being herded for a market, right? Exactly. Get, get them out. That kind yeah. of thing. So it's it, it was just it was just fun meeting, making friends with them, and and the Chamber of Commerce. Do you guys have those out there? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I think those are uh, great for local businesses. So. Mm. Um. Yeah. Cool. Good answer. Good answer. Um. I think you touched on this a little bit. So what, was there a particular event or activity event or activity in your uprising, like your childhood, your schooling or your work um, that got you excited about doing your research project? So you did mention like your family. Yeah, yeah, my dad kind of inspired it. But to be honest, I completely fell into it. Um, I finished my undergrad. I had no idea what I wanted to do. I was applying for lots of different jobs. And lots of different jobs I'm very grateful I didn't get, um, mm -hmm. looking back now. And then I got an email come around. Uh, it was about a scholarship to do a master's. I thought, I've got nothing else planned. Like, I may as well go for it. Ended up getting that. And yeah, then that master's kind of served as the pilot study for my, for my PhD. And then applied for another scholarship for that and ended up getting that. So... Just been lucky, uh, yeah, lucky in the right place at the right time, kind of. Yeah. And I never knew it was a career that it was even a choice. Uh, I'm so glad I'm in it. Honestly, it is, it is super interesting and every day is different. Hmm, I like that. That's, a, that's such a great story because I'm also in like a similar boat of, uh, yeah, I'm applying to a bunch of jobs nobody's mm -hmm. getting them so i'm like i'm just gonna start my own thing because why not gotta exactly. take those risks uh yeah also just very lucky uh yeah i like that and then anything else you want to add to that or you get to go with that question yeah no no i think i think that's about yeah okay. just well, well say the question again a particular event or activity in your uprising so your childhood schooling or work yeah no no it was just that it was just the particular event was that 
I didn't really have any other options on the table. So I thought, let's try this thing. I've got no idea about, you know, went into it, loved it, carried on. I'm still here. Yeah. Still I love here. That. Yeah. I loved it. And I, I just love that you're like happy about it too. Cause a mm-hmm. lot of people, I don't know. There's a lot of people around here. They got those dream jobs and mm. they, they don't like it. It's a lot of, yeah. 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 Like you get, yeah, paid, get, you get paid well, but no, nah, they don't like it. So I was going to say, don't get it twisted. Like the pay, yeah. the pay for what I'm doing is not bad, but it's definitely not great. And it's definitely yeah. not what some of my friends are earning. Yeah. But then like, I don't know, are they truly interested and excited in what they're doing? Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I know I am. Yeah. That's all that matters. So, mm. yeah. Um, so next question. So what was your favorite toy growing up? What did you like about it? And what were the similarities or what similarities does it have with like your research project? Love it. What an interesting question. My favorite toy. I think my favorite toy, does it count? Does Hot Wheels count as a toy? Yeah. Yeah. Hot Wheels. Yeah. I used to love Hot Wheels. Um, and how does that relate to my research? Well, the business, business, my research, fast pace, always changing, up and down, round mm. corners, like you never know what's going to happen. Sometimes our cars smash into each other. Yeah, I know. Like you see that in the business world as well. Yeah, I know. It's just sometimes you don't know what's going to happen. The car flies yeah. out the track. Yeah, you exactly. have a fully exactly. engineered, fully planned out uh, like track. Yeah. That's probably- might not go up you know so yeah oh my sister comes into my room like tears it all up that's just like pandemic coming in tearing everything up yeah it like that. i like that where are you are you still a car guy or no 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 not at all oh. not at all i love no, cars. I'm just like I love cars. i'm the kind of guy that my car's just got to get me from a to b okay that, that's that's a that's a solid and, uh answer yeah and being i don't know like uh london the public transport system is so good. Like barely anybody drives around, around, yeah, in the daytime at least. Yeah, yeah. That's cool. No, I did love cars. I'm still a car guy. I love cars. I, oh, yeah. So what, what's your favorite car right now? If you still have one, like a dream car. Uh, but you know what? My, uh, got some know, good cars know. out there. You got the Rolls Royce, the Bugattis, like, this one? Uh, the uh the bentley's right Aston martins mm-hmm. so there's some good yeah, cars my, out there my choice is not gonna not gonna be any of them mm-hmm. my choice would be the, my favorite i've had a few different cars my favorite car i've had has been a golf volkswagen golf oh yep yep that's an amazing I, vehicle i love the old school golfs like mark one mark two golf i think they look banging i'd love yeah. like i'd love like a yeah old school super fast like gti golf something like that that's a great car yeah so good good answer good answer yeah, but not not a supercar not one of these like uh like lamborghinis or yeah. anything like that. <laughs> that's too much hmm. i like that vw golf amazing car mm. um let's see uh i think that's oh no just one more so yeah these are just weird questions man so all of my all of the fun questions are always weird but if you could eat a sandwich with anyone uh dead or alive who would you eat with and why 
And also, what sandwich would it be? <laughs> wow. God, these questions, you honestly, you need to give me like 10 minutes and then come back. Because Yeah. <laughs> Anyone, dead or alive? Uh, let's just go. I don't know if you know, I'm a boxer. I box. So mm -hmm. let's go to go, Muhammad Ali. Uh, and what's the sandwich going to be? I don't know. Do you know what? Let's have a proper English sandwich. One of my favorites, uh, cheese and pickle. And it's not pickle like you guys know, I think. It's uh, Branston pickle. I don't know. Anyone listening, Google it and then, and then look at what's inside it. It's weird. <laughs> okay. In a sandwich, slaps. Okay. I'm, I'm a big, I mean, you can tell I'm a foodie. So, like, I have to, yeah, yeah, have to yeah. look at this. So, so why would you want to eat with him? I mean, he is the goat and you did box. So, what would you? Yeah, just like not just talk? because, like, not just because of what he did in the sport, but what he did for society as well. Mm -hmm. Right, he's. I think he was one of the first. Uh, well, yeah, yeah, he was. He was one of the first who really took that position that he was in and used that to influence society and kind of help help others who are in a similar position to himself. Hmm. Yeah, no, he, was, he was a big influential figure. Um, Actually, I'm, I'm interested about your boxing. So how did that work out? How did that, how'd you fall into that? That's super cool. That was also just starting university, uh, so my undergrad, and I, I really did fall into that. I had no, like, nothing to do. I thought if I just keep living like this, going out, drinking, like, I'm probably going to end up killing myself. So let's find a... Uh, let's find uh something fun to do saw my friend in the stairway and he said he was going to the boxing gym this was like in my first year and i thought okay yeah cool i'll tag along and then yeah 10 years later still boxing still competing so nice that's super cool yeah it was crazy what's like the biggest takeaway from your boxing and uh how did that oh. help you Great question for, for research. Um, you got a you got a roll with the punches. Hmm. Uh, so not everything's going to go your way, especially research. You get if you submit a paper somewhere, you you get rejected. Rejections are very uh, common. Oh yeah, uh, yep. In a research career, so you know boxing, the highs and lows. Uh, it definitely relates, and it definitely gives you that kind of mental fortitude to be able to overcome those challenges nice i totally agree i i wrestled in uh in high school so i i i love the combat sports and everything and you do learn a lot about like life and like yeah you you yes. prepared everything you did everything right and mm. boom you are it doesn't go your way yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. and wrestling i love i have a lot of respect for wrestling as well and especially I was uh, gutted when it got removed from the Olympics. Oh, yeah. No, me too. That was so hard. That's like the original Olympic sport. It was. It was the number one. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Cool. Actually, it was the guy who got me into boxing. He was, yeah, yeah he awesome. started off wrestling. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, no, like, it goes hand in hand. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we were in the middle of, of your boxing and how that uh, started. And... Okay, in, in relating it to your, like your research and stuff. So, 
Um, yeah, I think it. I think it gets yeah. you used to. You know, you get knocked down, you get straight back up again. Keep going. Like that's what it. That's what it really gives you. Mm-hmm. So just also that mental toughness and just discipline mm-hmm. and uh, lots of discipline. You know, mm-hmm. and I don't know. And yeah, knowing, just, knowing that anything easy ain't worth having. Yeah, yeah. It's everything in life is just hard, man. That's what I realized. Yeah. <laughs> so. It's like if it's worth having, um, it, it's it's hard. So when yeah, when people make it, yeah, yeah, and that is what, that is, yeah, research down to the T. Yeah, it's hard. It you really, get out what you put in. And it's also crazy because like nobody like cares about it other than like the select few of people. You know, it's <laughs> okay. Yeah. So you said yeah. amateur boxing. I'm I'm going to assume that it's not as like like there's no stadiums that are filled up you know it's just going to be like your close friends and maybe some other people who are heavily interested in the sport so not too many people but yeah. the pressing yeah, yeah. or the um or professional boxing the one that we see with the whole like uh like packed stadiums like stadiums, yeah. yeah that's like um that's totally different yeah exactly yeah no we we just box in like um I guess like leisure centers. Mm-hmm. Um, to be fair, I have books in some pretty nice places. Uh, I booked in one place which was like a Victorian. Uh, so from like the 1900s, it was like a circus stage, and the stage goes down underground, and water comes up, and there's all like, oh nice. And they had the boxing ring in the middle. Like this crazy. That was a crazy place. Yeah. Huh. That's but, cool, but it's very niche for sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. And small. And it's, yeah, just friends and family, other boxers, and people who are just crazy about the sport. Mm-hmm. So that's cool. Mm. Yeah, and I've still got my good looks as well. So, yeah, yeah, you're not like, oh, <laughs> yeah. Kids, so. yeah, not too smashed up. Yeah. Yeah, that means your, uh, your skills, you get out yeah. like dodging. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I always cool. keep my hands up. That's mm-hmm. it. Okay, so what's like your like favorite cheat meal from uh let's say you have to cut weight and or you have to maintain like a certain weight class, right? Mm-hmm. Um so what's like your favorite cheat meal after like a day of competing? Pizza. Yeah. Oh, pizza. yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, I love it. Like especially come back, pizza, like some people they like to drink a lot, like if they've been like preparing a lot but i find i just want to chill out put on some shit tv eat mm-hmm. like this like greasy pizza and yeah pass out <laughs> yeah, <laughs> solid solid answer yeah uh, we had i think for ours we had like in and out have been in and out yeah, before? Yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah well i've been to uh san francisco before and i had it there yeah but, yeah. yeah we don't have it here yeah, no, it's only uh, uh, I think Oregon, Nevada, California, Arizona, Utah, and I think Texas. It's a West Coast thing. But, down, yeah, yeah, it's, it's my favorite. I think it's the best restaurant in the world. So, yeah, in Chick Fil A. Yes, of course, of course. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> I love In and Out, but we don't have any here. So, yeah, it's been a while. Chick-fil-A is the next best option. Yeah, no, Chick-fil-A is amazing. Yeah. My workout book actually is a Chick-fil-A notebook that I got from, 
a uh I went I was at a job fair and then I went to the Chick-fil-A booth and they had a bunch of like notebooks and then they gave me one. So Oh, you sound just like me. That's exactly why I get free so many notepads. Take all the free ones. Oh my god, yeah. Yeah. And then just all the pens and everything. It's mm. it's amazing. So okay, and uh yeah, let's wrap this up. So uh what's like your oh no, where where can people find you? You know, like how can people connect with like your research? Um, uh, to connect with my research, I'd say your best bet is to connect with me on LinkedIn. So my name on LinkedIn is George Redhead, and that's just as it sounds, R-E-D-H-E-A-D. Um, I post a few updates on there. But I don't know, if you want to see what I'm up to more generally in life, you can follow me on Insta. My Insta is GRED44. Um, and yeah, that's about it. I'm not really that big of like a social media guy, but that's where you can find me and that's where you can keep up to date with what I'm doing. Okay, cool, cool. Yeah, I'll definitely uh put them in the in the description. So love appreciate that. Yeah, that was cool. I'll definitely have to connect with you on LinkedIn. I don't think I have you on there yet. So yeah. But yeah, thanks again for um being on the show man i really appreciate the support and everything so and thank you too yeah thanks for the questions honestly some of them such great questions it's nice to get the brain thinking and to like think about these things in a different perspective so thank you appreciate it i've had a good time yeah get the creativity and all the juices flowing so yeah any any last words for the people uh yeah just celebrate individuality baby i love it i already Thanks for listening, everybody.